Uh, when we first began this series in Timothy, First Timothy, uh, remember what the focus was? The focus was this call for us to defend the gospel. Remember, we preached about First uh, Timothy chapter one, uh, verse eighteen, where God commands Timothy through Paul God, and all of the church that we must wage the good warfare. To, to defend his word and to keep it pure uh, and to defend the gospel. So that's kind of where we began in 1 Timothy. As we have progressed, uh, I think it seems that our emphasis or our focus has shifted a little bit. Um, defending the gospel is still very important. But I think as we've preached through uh, these verses in Timothy, I think What's happened in our church is the Holy Spirit's been reminding us about this other emphasis about how should we make our church or our worship more in line with Scripture, with the Scripture's uh, prescriptions for worship. Um, for example, a couple weeks or maybe a couple months ago, we talked about what we should pray for, right, when the Bible reminded us that we ought to be praying for our leaders. Um, then we talked about how we should pray and that we ought to be praying with our uh, lifting holy hands. Last time that we spoke on Timothy, we learned about what kind of characteristics that we ought to look for in our elders or our future elders. And I know, Mark, you've shared about this several times after uh going through after our sermons in Timothy, how, you know, you've been struck about uh, how to make our worship more in line with scripture. Not that our worship before was unscriptural, um, but I think every church would acknowledge that they're not perfect. No church is perfect. No church will ever be perfect. And there's always room for improvement. There's always room to align ourselves more with uh, God's word in, in various aspects of uh, the life of church. I actually think that's a good thing. This is one of the results of what we call expository preaching, where we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, line by line through scripture, um, instead of having the pastor pick the topics about what we should preach about. Um, one of the advantages of expository preaching is that uh, you're not having a human being determine what we're learning each week, right? You're really letting the word of God determine the lesson plans, if you will, the lessons and the lesson plans uh, that, that we as a church ought to be learning. You know, if I picked all the topics, uh, we might be spending months learning about just the things that interest me. <laughs> um, and it's because we do expository preaching that this has happened in our church where we began with what we thought was an emphasis defending the gospel. And that's still very important. But then the Holy Spirit has reminded us of these other things that we ought to be thinking about in regards to our church, aligning our worship to be more in line with scripture. When we come to today's passage about deacons, I think that's what the Holy Spirit is going to do for us again, is to remind us, remind our church, about ways that we can align ourselves more in line with, with Scripture. So we're going to talk about this passage, this text, in three main points. First, we need to describe what is a deacon. 
What is a deacon? What do they do? Then we'll talk about the qualifications of a deacon. And then we're going to talk about the blessings of a deacon. The blessings of having deacons or the blessings of becoming a deacon. All right. So first, what is a deacon? In our text in Timothy, uh, scripture just jumps right in and talks about deacons and qualifications of deacons. But before we do that, we need to take a step back and first talk about what is a deacon? How did they come about and what was their job um, You know that, that created this office? That is why we chose Acts 6 to, to read uh, as a text. So let's go back to Acts 6 and let me read those verses again. In Acts 6, what was happening in the early church was uh, they were booming. There were a lot of disciples coming in, uh, believing, a lot of converts believing in the gospel. And the church was multiplying. It was growing greatly, hundreds if not thousands each day. Uh, not only growing in terms of numbers, but growing spiritually in faith, in joy, in love, in grace to one another. And so that's why we had Paul read Acts 4, where an outpouring of that gratitude of salvation uh, was all the uh, converts and the disciples, they decided to start sharing physical things with one another. You know, they sold uh, possessions and they shared it with one another. We read about Barnabas who sold his land and, uh, and, and, and uh, provided that to the church. That's Acts 4. Two chapters later, there began to be a problem with that sort of uh, uh, sharing of resources, if you will. Acts 6, this is what the Bible says. Now, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists or Greeks because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Daily distribution meaning when all the disciples and believers started to share their possessions and share food and things like that, some people were neglected and other people were given preferential treatment. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So basically, the disciples said, well, this is a serious problem. But there's so many people and the, you know, and the task of serving tables is so large that we 12, we're, we can't do this ourselves. It's not right for us to leave our work of praying and preaching and teaching to do that, even though that's an important job. So therefore, we need to appoint seven. We need to appoint more people to 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 look after just this task of equal distribution of the daily resources, quote unquote, serving tables. Um, that office or that position is what we today call deacons. That's the office of deacons. So if we could summarize, what is a deacon? A deacon is someone appointed by the elders to do mercy ministry. A deacon is someone appointed by the elders to do mercy ministry. By mercy ministry, we mean 
meeting the, the, the physical needs or the practical needs of the members as what the disciples needed men to do in Acts 6. Someone appointed by the elders to do mercy ministry. Now, when we say that, we mean a couple things. A deacon is lower in authority than an elder. Hi, welcome. Have a seat. Um, we are in uh, 1 Timothy 3. And today we're looking at verses 8 to 13. And we just started. So, so you're right at the beginning. Uh, we're talking about deacons. And we're, gonna, we're talking about what is a deacon. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the qualifications and then the blessings of a deacon. All right, so we said that a deacon, if we could summarize it, the position, a deacon is someone appointed by the elders to do mercy ministry. Mercy ministry meeting, meaning meeting the physical and practical needs of the, the members of the church. Um, when we say that, one of the things we mean is that a deacon is lower in authority than an elder. Now, for us as Christ Church coming from a Reformed or Presbyterian background, that might seem like a redundant point. Okay, yes, of course we know deacons are lower in authority than an elder. But I think the church as a whole, uh, sometimes we, we, we miss this point. Um, I came, I didn't come from a Reformed or Presbyterian background. I came from a non-denominational background. And in many non-denominational churches, uh, sometimes deacons are considered to have equal authority as elders. Sometimes churches only had deacons and no elders. Sometimes deacons were the board of trustees and even pastors and preachers were employees of the board. Um, that last example was the church that I actually came from. That was my church background. What the deacons made up the board and the pastors even were, were considered, they were elders by name only, but they were treated like employees of the board. Um, we actually spent, we were trying to reform this idea to become more biblical, you know, the church structure. And we actually spent half a day in a conference in a debate over who had more authority biblically, okay? When it really shouldn't be a debate because the words themselves tell us the difference in authority. The word deacon comes from the Greek word diakonos, which is actually a larger, a word with a larger uh, application. Uh, it means anyone who is a servant, anyone who serves, or anyone who performs a service can be called a, a diakonos. Um, in fact, when a woman serves, she can also be called a diakonos. Okay, so for example, in Romans 16, when Paul mentions his co-worker, Phoebe, who is an assistant who helps him, he actually uses that label, diakonos, to refer to her. Obviously, De Phoebe is not a deacon in the sense of an official deacon of the church. Okay, but I'm, all that saying is that word, that Greek word can have a broad application, meaning any type of servant or anyone who serves, and it can have a specific application, meaning the office of a deacon, someone who 
is uh, an official deacon in a church. Depend, depends on context, uh, what, what part of scripture you're reading to, 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 to figure out the differences. But the word deacon means a servant. The word elder, presbyteros, means someone who's an elder, someone with authority in society. And then the other word that's used interchangeably with presbyteros, episkopos, means an overseer, a supervisor. Okay, so in the, uh, we talked about this last week. In the New Testament, those words for elder are used interchangeably. Presbyteros, meaning somebody with just elderly standing in a community. And episkopos, meaning their function, supervisor, overseer. Okay, so just in the words themselves, one says servant and one says elder slash overseer slash supervisor. Okay, I don't think it can get more clear than that, right? The one has more authority than the other. The one has more, elders have more authority biblically than deacons. Uh, you can also tell by the fact that in Acts 6, before the deacons became deacons, the elders laid hands on them and made them deacons. You always see that. You don't ever see the, the reverse where deacons lay hands on elders and make somebody an elder. But even though they are lower in authority, they still do a very important work. We said a deacon is somebody appointed by the elders to do mercy ministry. When we say mercy ministry, we're meaning a ministry that tends to the physical and practical needs of the congregation. If you want to divide the coin this way, you could say that the elders attend to the spiritual needs of the church in their word ministry and their prayer ministry. They're attending to the spiritual needs of the church, whereas the deacons attend to the physical or practical needs of the church. Things like, is everybody getting enough food? Things like, um, you know, back then they were distributing uh, meals to everyone and, and one group was getting meals and another group was not. Right, those are physical, practical things. Now, I know there's a problem with this, with that split, because you can't always cleanly split what is physical and what is spiritual. Right, a lot of times they're all part of the same thing. But insofar as we can dis, uh, distinguish a spiritual need versus a physical need, uh, elders take care of more of the spiritual things, and deacons take care of more of the physical needs of a church. Mercy ministry, even though it attends the physical and practical needs of the church, mercy ministry is complementary to word ministry. Okay? Mercy ministry is complementary to word ministry. Actually, what we see in Acts 6 is mercy ministry strengthens, strengthens word ministry. I'm not saying there are equal ministries, okay? I'm not saying equal, there are equal ministries. You know, it says in Romans that the only way people get saved is through word ministry, right? You know, how would they believe if nobody, if they don't hear, and how would they hear if nobody preaches or, you know, sends the gospel to them? Um, so, so there's definitely, Scripture puts word ministry on a different level than mercy ministry. 
Because they're not equal. That's what I'm not. That's what. That's not what I'm saying. But they are complementary, just as husbands and wives are complementary to each other, even though there is definitely a difference in authority, okay, and a difference in function between the two. They're not equal, but they are complementary. One strengthens the, the other, and that's actually what mercy ministry does to word ministry. Look at what happens in Acts six. Without mercy ministry, in verse one, Acts six, verse one, the Bible says the disciples multiplied, but there were problems. There were complaints, so they were multiplying, but they're starting to get some roadblocks and you know uh, 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 pits, and they were stumbling over some things. But afterwards, after they appointed deacons, after they had a functioning mercy ministry, in verse seven, the Bible says, "Then the word of God spread, almost like it was an emphasis, right? Emphasis. You know, the word of God was spreading before, but why in verse seven would it then say after the mercy ministry was properly, you know, implemented?" Then the word of God spread, and the disciples multiplied greatly. Right there's the insertion of the word greatly, whereas before they were just multiplying. And then in verse seven, they're multiplying greatly. And then in verse seven, even a great many priests were converted. So, so there seems to be an emphasis that after mercy ministry was properly implemented, it blew up. It was really successful before, but after they got the mercy ministry part down,、uh, then it really exploded. They multiplied greatly, such that even the priests, a great many number of the priests, prior enemies of the church, were converted. Why? Why does mercy ministry strengthen word ministry? The simple reason is because God commands it, and when we obey God's command, He blesses it. That's the simple reason. I, you know, there, I tried to figure out another, you know, what's the connection there? It's simply we obey, and God blesses. Right? Blessed are those who pursue righteousness, right? Or thirst, thirst after righteousness. Practical, tangible aspects. Yes. Yes. Exactly. And we'll get to that too. Right. Remember what the Bible says in James, James chapter two, verses fifteen to seventeen. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, "Depart in peace, be warmed and filled," but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Uh, so there, God is very clearly saying, if we only give people words, and they have obvious practical and physical needs, but we're not meeting, we're not helping them at all with their practical and physical needs,、uh, the words become empty, you know, lacks substance.、Uh, what would be better would be to say, somebody lacks something, you know, let me try my best to help you. Okay, but 
the love, the, the practical love that I'm showing to you is the love of God that God shows to you. Why does mercy ministry strengthen word ministry? Simply because God commands it, and when we obey it, God blesses it. So what about us? What about Christ church? What about mercy ministry in Christ church? Uh, let's put that aside. We'll come back to that at the end. Okay, let me come back to that at the end. But that's what a deacon is. Uh, a deacon is appointed by the elders to do mercy ministry. Second, what are the qualifications of a deacon? One acts, the first thing it leads with is he must be filled with the spirit. When the Bible says that a deacon must be filled with the spirit, it means someone with observable and obvious fruit of the spirit. Okay. It doesn't simply mean someone who is saved because everyone who is saved, according to scripture, has the spirit. Right. We are all all of us who are saved have the spirit indwelling us. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And when the spirit is in us, the spirit is in us completely. Uh, we don't get partial spirit. And the reason is because the spirit is a person. OK, so the spirit is not an energy or uh, a, a, a thing that you can partially give you know, portions to over time and they collect more and more like an energy bar, you know, when you're playing video games, right? The spirit isn't your stamina or your power where, where like the more you, the more you get, the more your bar goes up. Okay. The spirit is a person. Okay. Me and George, when I'm in a room with George, I'm in a room with George. I'm not half in a room with George. I'm in a room with George. Okay. Cause I'm a person. I can't be 75% in a room with George. Okay. Same with the spirit. When the spirit is in us, we have the spirit. Everybody who is saved has the spirit. But when the Bible says the qualification me has to be a person has to be filled with the spirit. It has to mean that the person has these obvious fruits of the spirit and not just anyone with the spirit, because if it's anyone with the spirit, then everybody Qualifies to be a deacon, you right? Have to be prepared to serve. Yes, yes, and that is one of the yes. That's one of the fruit of the spirit is a willingness to to give grace, right? A willingness to to love those who are around you. Um, when we read Exodus eighteen, remember when uh, Moses's father-in-law Jethro was seeing this problem that Moses was having. All of Israel was just coming to him with their problems. And, and Moses was from sun up to sundown, who was dealing with the Israelites problems. And his father-in-law said, that's not good for you. You've, you've got to appoint helpers. Okay. We're not saying that Jethro was telling Moses, you've got to appoint deacons, right? He was just saying, you got to appoint leaders of thousands, hundreds, tens, and so on and so forth. But, but the principle is about the same. Okay. He was telling Moses, you got to appoint helpers to help you with these minor, smaller tax. And then Jethro gives Moses a list of qualifications. And basically, if you sum up everything that Jethro says to Moses, you could say Jethro was telling Moses, pick people who are filled with the spirit, people who have obvious and observable 
fruit of the spirit. Let them be wise. Let them not love money. Let them not be covetous. Let them be good, wise people. A deacon must be a spiritual person in the sense of being filled with the spirit. That might sound like common sense. I had a I had a deacon who once told me that deacons, because deacons were in charge of practical things and elders were in charge of spiritual things, that deacons must really be more of a practical person and elders are more of a spiritual person who's, you know, concerned with the Bible. So, so basically he was trying to say deacons are concerned with non-biblical slash practical things and elders are concerned with biblical slash spiritual things. You know, there's many problems with that. First of all, being uh, when something is biblical, it's practical, <laughs> right? If something's practical, it's, it should be biblical. Um, but I think what he was really trying to do was he was trying to preserve his own domain. You know, he was a deacon. He didn't want other people to tell him what he could or could not be doing. And so he was making the argument that, well, a deacon isn't really, shouldn't really be a spiritual person concerned with the Bible. The deacon should really be a practical person concerned with just like practical things. Um, the obvious biblical counter to that is the person of Stephen. Remember, Stephen was in Acts 6, one of the ones that were appointed a deacon, right, in Acts 6. And then immediately after the part we read, what do we read about Stephen? Stephen was accused of blasphemy. So he gets up in front of all the people that are accusing him of blasphemy, trying to kill him. And then the Bible says, full of the Holy Spirit, then Stephen gave a great sermon. And then, of course, he was stoned after that. Okay, the question to us is this. Stephen as a deacon... Is he an exception to the rule? Or is he the rule? Right? For that deacon that was telling me deacons are only practical and elders are spiritual, my response to him was, is Stephen the exception and you are the norm? Or is Stephen the example? And all deacons are supposed to be like him. I think all deacons are supposed to be like Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. Now, besides that, in our verses, in 1 Timothy, uh, there are many other qualifications, all of which you could put under this umbrella of being filled with the Spirit. Okay, but then if you parse it out, what is being filled? What are the various fruits of that? It's these things. Right. Someone who um, is not double tongued, someone who is reverent, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, um, has a pure conscience, holds the faith with a pure conscience, found blameless. You know, actually, many of the things that we talked about before in terms of qualifications of elders are the same as deacons. You could you know, strain the, the, the gnat and, and, and try to compare the list and say, well, there's several differences. You really don't have to do that. Okay, they're pretty much the same list. Okay, it's pretty much the same list. So all the things we talked about in regards to qualifications of elders apply to deacons. You know, someone with a good moral reputation. Someone who is 
not selfish, someone who is selfless, uh, someone with uh, someone who has proven to be faithful with a little before they are given a lot. You know, all those things we we talked about with with elders apply to deacons in terms of their qualifications. But if again, if you could use an umbrella term to describe a deacon, it has to be somebody filled with the Holy Spirit. Last, what are the blessings of being a deacon? If you like, look at verse 13, 1 Timothy 3, verse 13. This is what the Bible says. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. There it lists two things that deacons obtain, good standing and great boldness in the faith. These are the blessings of a deacon. Good standing, uh, that word literally means a step on a, on a stair. Okay, a step on a, on a stair, stairwell. So imagine you have a crowd of church members and I gave somebody a step stool and they, and they stood up on the step stool. They would be heads and shoulders above everyone else, right? That's what it means to have a good standing. It's, it's, a, it's a level up of dignity or a level up of good influence on the church. Literally, it's a step up. To contrast this, uh, in a moment, we're going to read Psalm 82. Psalm 82 is a judgment against the leaders of Israel, maybe of the world. Right? Because Psalm 82 says, God stands in the congregation of the mighty, the leaders. He judges among the, the gods, the little gods, right? Lowercase gods. And basically, God, God says, how long will you judge unjustly? How and show partiality to the wicked? And then he commands them, you should defend the poor and fatherless. You should do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. Basically, the thing that God judges the leaders of the world is they're not doing mercy ministry. In fact, they're doing the opposite. They are persecuting the poor and the fatherless, the afflicted and the needy when they ought to be helping them. So you see how God sees a lack of mercy or a lack of mercy ministry. He judges it. And so the opposite should be true. When we do mercy ministry, when we do good mercy ministry, do it well, we get good standing. The second blessing, the Bible says, deacons gain great boldness in the faith. That word boldness is a very specific word for boldness. It doesn't just mean somebody who is bold in general in terms of their disposition. Boldness there actually means a boldness of freedom to speak. Uh, it's a word that means freedom of speech. So a bold person using this word is someone who is able to speak their mind openly and freely about whatever they want to speak about openly and freely and plainly. You know, more and more so in this country, we are losing this freedom of boldness in speech. Okay, so what you see in our country is the opposite of boldness of speech or boldness, this word. So when, by contrast, when Jesus begins to speak plainly about him being the Messiah, that's the word that's used. 
when Paul speaks plainly about the gospel in the various letters that he writes, this is the word that he's that he's using. So this word is boldness, but but really a boldness of speech and an ability to openly and plainly proclaim the gospel. Okay? Now, we usually associate people who can openly proclaim the gospel as people with speaking gifts, evangelists, right? Or people who've got seminary training or biblical training somewhere, right? Those are the people that we associate usually with people who can boldly proclaim the gospel openly and plainly to people. But here, the Bible says, it's the deacons. It's the deacons, if they do their job well, that they obtain this boldness in the faith, meaning they obtain this ability to speak to people openly the gospel. How does that happen? How does that happen? You know, I've, I, can, I can specifically remember people who are deacons that I've come across who are afraid to speak to other people because they, they, they think, I'm just a deacon. You know, I'm a deacon exactly because I don't have speaking gifts and it's the elders who ought to be sharing the gospel with others. I, you know, I shouldn't be tasked with sharing the gospel with others. You know, that's sometimes that's the mentality of a deacon. But no, the Bible says one of the blessings of a deacon is if you do it well, you gain this boldness in the faith. How? I think, you know, this comes back to Paul, the thing that you talked about. When you serve other people, you, you love them by their physical and practical needs, you gain trust with them. You gain credibility with them so that the things you say matter more to them than perhaps a random stranger saying, saying to them the same things. There's an end. The kingdom of God is an end. Or when there's something exchanged, there's an end. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that happens. Um, I have a coworker. I work in the public defender's office. I have a coworker who went to prison as a juvenile served 10, 20 years in the, in the prison, uh, not served, was incarcerated for a very long time, reformed his life in prison and started help, got out of prison and started helping others who were trapped in the same bad cycle get out of that cycle. He's my coworker. When a client calls me and I tell them stuff, they listen to me, but they don't really listen to me. When a client calls him and he starts talking to them, they listen to him. Why? Because he's done things physically for people that I just, you know, I know things in my head, but I haven't gone through prison like that. I haven't extricated myself from that bad, bad cycle myself, but he has, and he's helped others do it. And so his word matters more to the people that he speaks with. He's like a deacon. In the public defender's office. Okay, but we need deacons like that in church. The other reason this is so is because God, when God sees our faithfulness with a little, he's going to give us more gifts. It's supernatural. Right? Remember the parable of the talents? When we talk about the parable of talents, we always talk about the last person, the, the last servant who buried his one talent. But remember what Jesus says about the other two uh, folks? But the one he gave five, he gave five more to. And the one he gave two, he gave two more to. And then Jesus says at the end, to everyone who has, more will be given. 
and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. So if you think you don't have the speaking gift, if you, don't, if you think you don't have the boldness to proclaim the gospel, try being a deacon. Try being faithful with that. And then see how God blesses you with additional gifts. Right? Everyone who has more will be given. And he will have an abundance. So what about Christ Church? Um, I know we're small. I know we think we are limited. Let me uh, give us three things to, to ponder. Okay, just three nuggets, uh, if, if you would allow me. Um, the first is, you know, we just scratched the surface surface about with with regard to mercy ministry the bible actually has a lot more to say about mercy ministry and we could do like a sunday school to kind of delve into all that the bible says but the first is this is a free will thing it's not you know the god does not require every church to you know give a certain amount in order to do a certain level of mercy ministry all of the giving all of the offerings that Barnabas and the disciples gave to the church was a free will offering, right? In fact, after Barnabas gives his gift, there was another example of these two folks who sold their land and gave part of it to Peter and they lied about it. But the thing that Peter says to them is, you didn't have to do this even at all. You could have kept part of it, just be honest with it. You could have kept all of it, right? It wasn't wrong for you to keep all of it because it was yours. But the fact that you lied about it is the judgment, right? And then Ananias and Sapphira died. Okay? So, so it's free will. We can do what we can. There's not a you know, certain standard. Okay? We can give what we can to mercy ministry, depending on what we have. We can, because of that, we can start out with a little. We can start out with a little. Um, what would that look like? What if, I know it gets real hot during the summer, right, on 69th Street. What if we had little bottles of water that as people are passing by, right, they're coming back from, I've come back from work many times and I'm thirsty, right? But then I come to the stop sign or stop uh, stoplight and I see the pe folks selling water for two bucks. I don't have two bucks to give them right away. But what if we gave nice, you know, these little bottles of water, nice cold bottles of water to people as they're passing by during the hot summer days. Um, I don't know what that would look like in the fall and the winter. You know, do we give snack bars? Do we give... Um, and we don't have to provide enough for like the thousands of people that come across 69th Street. It could just be whatever free will offering, right? Whatever much we, we, we can afford, we, we get and we, you know give it to people. I know sometimes coming back from work, I'm hungry. I am hungry, right? But I don't have anything. I don't have any snacks in my car to eat. Um, it could begin with a little. And then the last thing is, well, what comes first? Should we get a deacon first or should we do mercy ministry first? You know, it's the whole, it's the age old question, chicken and the egg, what comes first, right? I think the answer to that is it doesn't matter. Right? If you have a chicken, raise it well, you get an egg, you'll get both. If you have an egg, nourish it well, 
And someday it'll become a chicken. That gives you another egg. That becomes another, right? So it's like, it doesn't matter what we have first, right? If we just start doing one thing and we do it well, God will provide the rest. If we start doing mercy ministry a little bit, even though we don't have a deacon, we pray about it, God will supply us with a deacon eventually to, to oversee that ministry. I hope that's something we can talk about a little bit more. Maybe the, de- you know, the elders uh, together, maybe we can talk about that. But just some food for thought, okay? Some food for thought, practical food for thought for us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, this reminder in your word about how important it is to, to love people uh, in terms of their physical and practical needs. Um, and Lord, we, we have a desire to do this. I know we do. Um, but Father, sometimes it is uh, hard for us to, to, to take that next step. But thank you for the encouragement in your word that uh, if we do mercy ministry faithfully and do it well, that yes, indeed, it does and it can strengthen our word ministry. Father, we only desire to be faithful to your word. We only desire to be faithful with whatever amount we have. So help us, give us wisdom, guide us, help us to know what to do next. And whatever we do, Lord, bless us. Ultimately, we desire to see your people in your world coming back to repentance and faith in you. We desire to see that at 69th Street. So ultimately, our concern is just that we do whatever we can to help lead people to you. So Lord, give us the best ways to do this. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.